ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm your host, Nathan Bell. Greg Dutcher sitting across from me. Greg, how you doing tonight? Doing great, man. Feeling great. You know what I love? Um, as you know, Nathan, I'm not the biggest winter guy. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get better about that, but you know, now that we're week into February, or at least by the time this airs, yep. and January's in the books... Always feels good. Looking looking a little brighter for you. I'm going to look up tonight, if you remind me, when I get home, when do pitchers and catchers report to Sarasota, <laughs> Florida for the Orioles, and then I am flying high. Nice, nice. And uh, as many of you know, um, our listeners out there, we have um, drummed up a partnership with PNR Publishing. Um, we have another great author joining us today, Mike Abendroth. Uh, wrote a book, Sexual Fidelity, No Compromise. Um, we are going to spend a lot of time talking about that. Uh, but first, Mike, go ahead and introduce yourself. Give us a little bit about you. Um, where are you? Do you have friends, family? What do you do? Uh, talk to us a little bit. Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And anytime you can talk about the Lord and his word, it's a good day, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, moved after college to Los Angeles for about <clears throat> 15 years, and I thought I was moving there to have fun, surf in the morning, kind of go to Las Vegas at night or go to nightclubs, uh, but the Lord had other things in mind for me. had a crisis with my father getting cancer and dying. He was wow. 55 at the time. I was 29. Mm. I picked up the Bible, and with a Lutheran background, I thought, I know God speaks in his word, and I need some comfort, but I didn't know how to interpret it. I mean, obviously, now I look back and say, you know, I did not have the Holy Spirit to understand it. Mm -hmm. So I began to listen to Christian radio, and uh, there was a guy in there in particular that taught the Bible, and I was very compelled by how he knew the scriptures, and through radio, and that's why I love radio even now, and Love to be on shows and love to host shows. Uh, I began to listen to John MacArthur preach and teach and uh, then uh, got saved, went to seminary shortly after that, and then came out here to central Massachusetts 19 years ago. So wow. I'm 55 now, and so it's Omaha. Los Angeles, Massachusetts, I guess Birmingham, Alabama's next. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> then you have the whole gamut covered there, Mike. That's uh, great. Hey, let me ask you, at the risk of offending your current friends, um, church folk, neighbors, what's, what's your favorite place that you've lived in? You know, it's interesting. My wife is from Santa Cruz, and so oh, yeah. I have two children born in California, two born in, in Massachusetts. And when I'm in – I'm kind of an honorary guy, so when I'm in – California. I usually wear Patriots Red Sox. Stuff. Oh boy! <laughs> but when he, when I'm when I'm living here, I wear New, uh, San Francisco Giants T-shirts, <laughs> yeah. uh, Los Angeles Lakers stuff, and so uh, <clears throat> I really like Santa Cruz a lot. We spend a lot of time there in the summer. I hope to take a sabbatical there sometime soon. Nice. And you know, every place has its benefits. Uh, as I've lived here for several years, I've thought to myself, you know what, Lord, thank you for the seasons. I don't always like the cold, but I get to go skiing with the kids. And so I'm not trying to give you the PC answer, but uh, I, you know, if I had to retire someplace, it'd probably be Santa Cruz. But uh, I yeah. do enjoy the maple tapping here and the yeah. fall leaves. Oh, I bet. I bet. That's, that's your neck of the woods, Nathan, or close it to it. Yep. Yep. Grew up just uh, just north of there in New Hampshire. So, yeah. That's yes. great. That's great. Now I'm homesick. Yeah, I bet, man. <laughs> I bet. If we were really prophetic, 
I think, isn't this the night this airs of the New Hampshire primary? We could give commentary to what's going on tonight as people listen. I know. We, well, not, we could yeah. do that anyway. We when, could do it. When, when has the truth ever stopped yeah. us? <laughs> <laughs> Never get in the way of a good story or illustration. <laughs> That's right. That's for sure. So, oh. so once again, we are um, speaking with Mike Abendroth, uh, Sexual Fidelity, No Compromise, the book that he wrote. Mike, um, talk to us about this book. It is written in the format almost of a um, 30-day devotional um, habit-breaking format almost. I, I think at the beginning of your book you wrote that um, you know it's well-documented that it takes 30 days of um, repetitive behavior for yeah. something to become habit. Um, so talk to us a little bit about why you formatted it this way. Such a great format. Sure. Thanks for the question. When I think of how we're bombarded with images in the world – you know, in the old days, you'd have to go to Europe and then you'd go to a petrol station, a gas station, and you'd see some kind of girly magazines there. <laughs> and over the years, as we become more secular, more European here in the States, and then with the Internet uh, compounding the problem, you cannot run uh, away from these images, I guess, unless you live in a cabin someplace. Yeah. And so it is a bombardment of sexually illicit pictures, thoughts, innuendos. And I thought to myself, as I talked to my son, he's 19 now, a master's college student, but at the time of writing the book, he was 15. Mm. I thought, you know what? It would be good for me to to put something together where every day for 30 days, and and let's say you're not a fundamentalist and you miss a few days, so let's say (laughs) 35 days or something, 40 days, where you just pick it up and say, I'd like to think biblically about this subject. Uh, That's why I put the 30 days in there. And, you know, short 1,000, 1,200-word chapters designed to think rightly. And, And what struck me the most, guys, was when, I I would talk to my son and think, all right, somebody's got to tell him about sex, and it's got to be from either a worldview perspective that's biblical or uh, illicit. And Proverbs 2, 5, 6, and 7 all deal with sexual sin uh, Mm -hmm. to some degree or another, and they all start off the same way, uh, either out of the gun or within the next verse, my son. And I remember talking to a, a person once, and he told me, you know, when I used to read the Bible kind of narcissistically, I thought my son was me. You know, I would read my son, be attentive to wisdom. God was calling me son. But right. yeah. this is Solomon talking to his son about sex and not just don't commit sexual immorality, mm-hmm. but enjoy sexual morality. And and so I just began to write about it, and uh, as I talked to my son, thinking if my son needs this, if I need this, other men do too. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of the genesis of the book. Yeah. Yes. And in the book, you also write that this isn't just a book for men, that you've also written this for um, women, for married couples. Talk to us a little bit about the diversity that this book brings out. Sure. While the book is written by a man, that is me, and comes from my perspective, I've been married for 26 years to Kimberly. I have three daughters. I've had a couple grandmas and a mom. And <laughs> and yeah, while I while I write from a man's perspective, uh, I just think if you understand the Bible, both men and women could be assisted if we have some biblical exposition mm-hmm. and some direct talk. So even though 
Solomon is writing to his son about, you know, enjoy your wife, or even in Ecclesiastes 9, life is fleeting, enjoy your wife. I think the ladies could learn too. And one one particular lady said, you know, thanks to the book, I now understand sexual uh, sexuality from a man's perspective. You know, how does my wow. husband think about sex? And certainly as men, we are called to uh, live with our wives in an understanding way and to study them and understand them. It also helps ladies if they can understand men as well, because we both, husband and wives, can enjoy one another in the, the marriage bed, in the covenant marriage bed, but there's just a- different aspects because we're completely different. And mm-hmm. and I think if you're single or married, uh, male or female, you could benefit from the book, but I wouldn't be surprised if more men read it than women just because, you know, black cover, I'm a man, you know. <laughs> yeah. That. yeah. Yes. No, but I, I think um, you're – you're really on to something, Mike. Um, and this is a little out of sequence for the questions I was going to ask you, but since you mentioned it, um, I have a 17 year old daughter and a seven year old daughter. We're not quite there talking to our seven year old daughter yet, which is a wonderful thing. I just love how children that age, uh, you know, they're just completely wonderfully oblivious to those, those things right now and, and should be for some time longer. Uh, our older daughter, we already have talked to, um, how important do you think it is, Mike, that fathers, maybe through the channel of their wives, I'm not sure how this all works out, my wife and I talk about this all the time, inform a young girl, maybe a teenage girl who's growing up, uh, of the unique temptations of uh, the man with a sex drive. Uh, I say that because it is it has often been... Um, noted you know i've heard youth pastors say this i think there's a lot of wisdom in it that the thing is uh uh that the the thing is cursed from the beginning uh in other words um it's common that girls will um use sex to get love Uh, guys will certainly use love to get sex and i know those principles hold hold true that's part of living in a fallen world the way the enemy can can work to bring about pain and sin and and uh, confusion in this arrangement. How important is it in your mind that a teenage girl know to some extent what a man's battles are? Well, Greg, it's a, it's it's important because who else is going to teach our children and. Uh, especially these days with men and women who are growing up and maybe they don't have uh, grandmas and grandpas who are Christians and great-grandparents. I mean, for us, at least on my side of the family, you know, close to first-generation Christians. And and how do we talk about those things? So let me first address just talking to kids in general because then I think it it slides into your, your, your question. I like to say to folks that in one way, I'm sorry I don't have more children. Uh, I have three girls and uh, a boy, and Kim and I, my wife and I, have had the talk with all of them. And while, you know, it's a little nerve-wracking to talk about sex with your kids, and maybe there's some blushing and some red splotches on, you know, your neck, you're getting nervous. (laughs) For sure. uh, Those were the sweetest times. I, I, I remember every time thinking... You know, I was the lead and and talking to the children about that, and then my wife coming alongside and 
and discussing things. Here's who God is. Here's how great God is. Here's how God has designed bodies. And we talked about it, and it was just a sweet time. And it was in that it was in that that comfortable, you know, living room. We were by ourselves, protected uh, from influences and and snickering and and schoolhouse talk, schoolyard talk. And I think then, when it comes to how do I talk to my girls, it's almost in the same environment. And I think the easiest way for me is if I say, you know what, honey, uh, this is to one of my daughters. I love you too much to let you go outside in that low cut top. Yeah. And uh, this is why. Yeah. And it's interesting. Some things are very difficult to buy. I mean, ladies' uh, clothes that looks good are fashionable. Are so many of those things are so slinky that it I makes know. it difficult for a lady. Yes. And I just tell them, you know, men are wired differently, and we see things, and it's appearance driven. And so, uh, again, to fight my inner fundamentalism, I try to tell the kids. Uh, Maturity is time and place. Yeah. So I never want to say no because I think that's just improper. And so if they want to show some cleavage, the answer is not no, you never can. Uh, but you should on your honeymoon night in your hotel with your husband. And, right, right. You know, live it up. So I yeah. don't want to be anti any of this stuff because God has made ladies look a certain way. And so I think if the dad's involved, I mean, and, and honestly, guys, I struggle with laziness like everyone else. It's just easier for me if I don't say anything to my girls when right. they walk out of the house. Right. Uh, but to love them and come alongside of them and say, you know, we don't want to make your brother in Christ stumble. You don't want to have, you know, guys, you know, figuratively or literally kind of just you know, staring at you and drooling over you and giving them thoughts that they shouldn't have. And uh, I think it's best done at home with the dad and mom. Then the mom can come alongside as well and and teach a a young lady, listen, here's how things work. And uh, here's what the best thing to do is when you go outside. And here's what some men are thinking. And, you know, before the honeymoon, here's what men think about you know these issues before the before the marriage, and that's probably the best at home to talk about. Yeah, thank you, Mike. That's that's great. And your point on style, I do feel for uh, girls today because you know I I don't think most parents. I love your comment there about fighting your inner your your inner fundamentalist. Great <laughs> quote, by the way. Um, you know, we we want our kids. I want my kids to dress in a way they think is stylish, you know, within reason and within bounds. Uh, Guys, that can be a little easier. Girls often, I think, um, will see something that is stylish. Their fellow girlfriends would say, oh, you look great in that. It's stylish. And again, that's where that that truth, that hard-edged truth comes in. I'm convinced many young women wear something. They think, oh, this is really stylish. And in their naivete, at least I hope that's the case with a number of kids, they just think it's stylish, not knowing that, no, it's stimulating. Um, It's not to you. It's not to your girlfriends. But it is going to be for guys. And, of course, any father who was a teenage boy and is still a man with a sex drive knows those things. So um, I appreciate your comment on laziness, too. It is very easy to become lazy in that regard, Um and maybe just, you know, sort of close your eyes and bury your head in the sand. So uh, just I really wanted to get your thoughts on it, even reading the book. So thank you, Mike. Well, you're welcome. And even when I think about the, the not saying no to everything, 
my son and I were working out in the garage and we were lifting some weights and we had some music on in the background, some kind of reggae music or something. I mean, it wasn't a sit down, I'm going to teach you biblical Hebrew kind of session. <laughs> and uh, he looked at me and he said, you know, uh, Dad, I don't think I have the gift of singleness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, you know, thank you for being willing to tell me that. I appreciate it. And let's walk through some of these issues. And I said, son, uh, I have many dreams for you and uh, desires for you all underneath the sovereign rubric of God's, you know, good hand. But I said, here's one of my desires for you as a dad. And uh, I was thinking about Proverbs 5, about being intoxicated with her love, the, the, the writer says to his son, and that's physical, sexual love. I said, Luke, uh, I want you to have a lot of sex. That's what I want you to do. <laughs> yeah. and, and he he didn't know what to do. He looked at me like, I've got the greatest dad in the world. <laughs> and I said, you know, this is what God has created. And of course, I mean in marriage with a woman – uh, and here's Proverbs chapter 5, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. And, and uh, we would go through Proverbs 5. And what I love about Scripture, when it's talking about sexual sin, it never writes it in such a way that uh, it titillates your mind or wants you to go commit that sin. It yes. paints sexual sin like other sins with a with – a, uh, you want to run from it. You want to flee immorality to use 1 Corinthians 6. But when it comes to sexual purity, you know, I don't want to be some Victorian prude. I want to speak in a biblical fashion. Yeah. Uh, the, the cloaked language of even drink water from your own cistern. I mean, we, we understand what they're saying, but you can you can imagine you, you're parched and you're so thirsty and you're you're playing football outside and you want to just drink a gallon of water. And yeah. so there's a, a testosterone given to men. Women have a little, too, but men have most of it. And, yeah. <laughs> and you have a desire if you don't have the gift of signal singleness to engage in sexual intimacy with your wife. And who can slake your thirst besides your wife? And, and God says, look, I, I've given you the greatest gift, forgiveness found in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.32. Won't I give you every other good gift? And, oh, yeah. and that's how I talk to my son. And I think that kind of direct talk versus no, don't, you can't. I, I want my son to say, you know what? There's a time, and I'm looking forward to that time where I could kneel down at the uh, by the bedside with my wife on our honeymoon night and just say, Lord, you are so great. You are so awesome. You, you've blessed us in every way. You're a God who gives generously. And we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for what you've done. Bless our marriage. Bless our life together. And let us enjoy each other now, even in bed. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, who couldn't just even tear up thinking about such a special time between a husband and a wife? Yeah. Well said, Mike. Thank you. So great. Um, once again, Mike Abendroth, Sexual Fidelity, No Compromise. Mike, we, we talked about um, specifically how to deal um, with girls and, and fathers and mothers teaching their girls. Talk to us about um, the process, um, and, you, and you touched on this a little bit, but talk to us about the process of when fathers are ready to sit down with their boys and talk to them about sex and um, what that looks like. Well, Nathan, what we did in our home, and of course, you know, I made so many mistakes, but looking back on those now, it, it, uh, 
uh, you know, makes me rehearse again the grace of God in my life. But, <laughs> yeah. But on good days, uh, and, and I would say five nights a week when the kids were little and we could kind of wrangle them and set them at the kitchen table, I would read the Bible pretty much verse by verse, you know, mm-hmm. Exodus 1 tonight, Exodus 2 tomorrow night, Exodus 3 the, the next night. What did we learn about God? Why do we need a Savior? And we would just go through the Bible. And I always told the kids they could ask me any question they wanted. And so when uh, they were little and, you know, chapter 38 of Genesis came up and Onan spilled his seed on the ground, they they never said anything. And I didn't bother telling them. Right. <laughs> well, they thought it was about farming at that point. I get it. Yeah. So then when they got older, I remember one particular time, one of my kids raised their hand and said, Daddy, what's a prostitute? Because they were talking about a prostitute. Mm, Daddy, yeah. what's a whore? Now, you know, I've got four different ages, and I want to say the right thing. And, you know, I don't want to be, you know, potty-mouthed or anything like that. These are my kids. And so I said, now, listen, kids, a prostitute is someone who, for money, will get into bed with somebody who's not their husband. They'll take off all their clothes, and then the man can do whatever he wants to the girl, including even touch her. Hmm. Yeah. And my kids, you should have seen their faces. It was like they were going to throw up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They could not believe that because, you know, you can talk to your kids about propriety and private areas and all these kind of things, you know. And I thought to myself, this is a good way to introduce the topic of sex as I teach the Bible to my own family verse by verse. Mm hmm. So then they have questions, and then I could say, well, you know what? I don't want the 7-year-old to know the answer to this one, so I'll talk to my 17-year-old offline, and then we can discuss. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, with my kids, uh, it was never uh, with my son, you know, this is how to do it. It was more, why has God created this? Uh, How can you think about the sex drive properly? Uh, what you should be doing to win a godly girl. It was conversations like that. And sometimes he'd ask me a, a, an explicit question about a particular thing. And and while I would never give that kind of an answer from the pulpit or from a Sunday school class, maybe in premarital I would, and certainly with my son I would. And, and I just want to kind of create an environment where my kids can ask me questions and I'm looking for those providential times where I can speak into my kid's life. When I would go on a date as an unbeliever in Nebraska, my father's advice was always, when I would walk out the door, he would say, Mike, keep your nose clean. Huh. And I'm like, I had no idea what that meant. Yeah, right, <laughs> I mean, right. Does that mean don't snort cocaine? Yeah. <laughs> does, does that mean wear a prophylactic? Seriously, I never knew what that meant. Keep your nose clean. So, uh, while I love my dad, I would rather be now a father who is trying to teach his sons, uh, teach his daughters. Uh, this is what the Bible says, and, and we can just talk man to son, uh, man to daughter in a kind way in, in the home, speaking biblically, and that's a much better route, I think. So so what you, what I'm hearing is you're, you're treating sex like every other – discussion or topic that you would treat in your family. It's not like this one-time thing where you sit down with your child 
and and have a you know two hour discussion and you're you're done. It's a lifelong teaching and journey that you have with them um, at age appropriate times to to divulge more and more as they get older and older. Absolutely, and if you follow Nathan, for instance, uh, reading a Proverbs uh, a proverb chapter every day, and so mm-hmm. if today's the second, you read Proverbs two or today's Proverbs five because it's the fifth. And then you read to your children, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to make a comment, but, you know, the kids start getting older. They're going to look at you like, you know, you're going to do a little exposition. here. <laughs> <laughs> what did this mean and, in the original Hebrew? <laughs> uh, years ago, I preached through Song of Solomon from the pulpit on Sunday morning. And I thought, you know, this is going to be interesting because I don't want to do it in an offensive way. But I also want to make sure that I would preach all the Bible. I mean, is there a book of the Bible that a pastor won't preach on a Sunday morning? And some of the commentators said, don't preach this book on Sunday morning. So, you know, study it another time. Uh, some Jewish folks don't let their kids read it until they're going to get married, you know. Interesting. And, and I just thought, you know what, there's a way to go about it. So now imagine you get up to preach and you've got, you know, homeschool families You've got uh, single moms with kids. You've got grandpas and grandmas. You've got your own kids. My own wife is sitting there. And is it ever inappropriate to do biblical exposition? At any age, I think they should hear it. Uh, Now, it is inappropriate to talk about certain things until kids are ready. But in terms of biblical exposition, I mean, that's a good challenge out there to, to Post to your readers, is there anything in the Bible that you don't want your kids to be taught? Yeah. Great question. Great question, yeah. Mike. Just to give our uh, listeners, I, I want to give them just a little sense of your writing. We were talking before we, um, uh, I always say went live, Nathan, what's the word? When we recorded tonight and um, you said that you write much like you preach, uh, which I think is a great benefit, particularly on a topic like this. Uh, as guys are setting, or women too, to read this once a day for 30 days. Just this is from uh, Mike's chapter. Uh, it's his fourth chapter, um, The Sex Drive, Curse or Blessing. I just, very punchy. This one really stood out to me. Said, a word of the wise for fathers. Please have regular times when you discuss sex with your sons. Age appropriately, of course. Boys who are sprouting into men need to hear from you, Dad. Someone will give your boys a sex education, so it might as well be you. I love to talk to my son about the goodness of God and the God who created sex. I love to tell my son that I want him to have a lot of sex, which you said earlier, with his future wife, of course. I like to instruct him that the Lord is not the God of no, but of, quote, be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 1, and 28. Mm-hmm. Um, just to let our readers know, this is very, very uh, good provocative mm-hmm. uh, language, uh, and I mean that provocative in a intellectually stimulating right. way that Mike is using, and just your point to tell kids, and really, I, I view, Mike, whether you said this or not, one of the things you're doing in this book, at least implicitly, is an apologetic um, angle for defending the faith, because it is a common misconception mm-hmm. that Christians are prudes, uh, sex embarrasses us, um, we cover it all up uh, because we don't know what to do with it. And a lot of kids, if they're raised in that environment, because uh, Christians may buy into it, oh, I guess that's what I have to do, will find the high school experience, the college experience, 
liberating from the perceived restraints of mom and dad. Um, so I think when you combat that notion, like, what are you talking about? God is the one who invented this stuff. The world doesn't have the leg up on this. God does. Uh, and by saying to your kids, it's just a very uh, provocative thought, I want you to have a lot of sex one day and great sex because this is what God invented uh, is such a helpful way. And I think the side benefit, Mike, is you're helping kids when they go into high school, college, and their friends pressure them. Hey, why, you know, why are you holding out? Why aren't you, you know, going all the way with this girl or, you know, such and such? Uh, you've equipped them with a better understanding, better than the world's understanding of the joy of sex as God designed it. Can you imagine as God orchestrates this whole uh, intimate act between a husband and a wife and, and how he would design all the different nerves and fibers and body parts that complement one another and the bonding between husband and wife. I mean, the more you think about it, the more amazing it is. I mean, I would think similar thoughts when I would watch a baby be born um, and, and think about how God can make an umbilical cord and you can breathe underwater until yeah. you're, you know, your birth and then it's the air and it's just the amazing uh, human body and God is uh, a creator and we are fearfully and wonderfully made as, as David would say in Psalm 139. So I'm trying to th say, you know what? I don't want to be prudish about it, but I also don't want to go off the deep end where guys, you know, preaching sex sermons and having sexathons with their congregations <laughs> right. and doing something stupid. Right. Uh, the other thing that I was trying to weave through the book is not only do men and women, uh, for the most part, except, you know, those with the gift of celibacy, not only do they, they have sexual desires and it's, it's a good thing, of course, in marriage. Most everybody that I've met, including myself, has sinned sexually. Mm -hmm. So yeah. as I talk about sin, uh, then what do we what do we about sex? What do we do when we sin in a sexual way? Whether with our minds, of course, our Lord Jesus talked about committing adultery even with our minds on the Sermon on the Mount, or with our bodies. And what I wanted to do especially as I read Romans 1, as it's connected to chapter 2, of course, to think, you know what, self-righteousness, and uh, I'm, I'm better than someone else. I have more righteousness, I think, relatively than other people do, the pagans. But then at the end of the day, I think about the holiness of God and my own life and then my own thoughts sexually. Uh, it's it's good to be able to, to run to the Savior and to think, you know, does, does anyone in the world not sin sexually? Is there someone when they're tempted, they never fell into sexual sin? Who, who's, who's someone that can just be pure? I mean, I'd like to meet that person. And then to reflect upon the Lord Jesus Christ, can you imagine the Father said of him both at the transfiguration and at baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then when I say, you know what? Even though I have committed sexual sin, there's someone who didn't. And I, because of, of what the Lord has done, the triune Lord has done, I get Christ's righteousness, mm. and he got all my sexual sin. I get all his perfect righteousness. And when God sees me as a Christian now, 
I'm wearing white. Yes. You know, you talk about wearing white on your wedding day and every other day. And uh, that helps in so many other areas. It first me first makes me think I'm thankful because I should be going to hell for my sexual sins, both with my mind and, and my body. It also makes me say I want to run from any future sins because why would I want to sin now knowing that the Lord paid for those sins? Yes. It also makes me think, you know what, what if you married someone uh, who didn't get saved until they were 25, 30 years old, and they had a sexual past? And uh, if God sees those people as pure, uh, we ought to see those people as pure, mm -hmm. too. So mm -hmm. that was the other apologetic. I didn't want to make the book uh, about moralism and just uh, have more sex with your wife and don't have sex with people who aren't your spouse. Right. I wanted to kind of lace it with the gospel because I know that's what I need. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and and you've done so, uh, so well. Again, uh, Mike Abendroth, uh, Sexual Fidelity, uh, is the one we are talking with tonight about his, his very short, punchy, very timely book. Again, I, I want to read a quote and then ask you a question. And I'm, again, reading so our... Uh, listeners can get the sense of your writing. Earlier in the book, uh, you talk about how our hearts can basically sabotage these good gifts that God gives, and you write, actually, the human heart is the sniper that assassinates things God created for good. Food is good, but gluttons <clears throat> give food a bad name. Rest is a wonderful and necessary thing, but some lazy people turn nap times into indolence. To its own detriment, the human heart is a wrecking ball that demolishes everything good in its path, including all that is good about sex. So there is a quote from Mike introducing this important subject. And in that vein, how our hearts can, uh, in essence, assassinate things God, uh, God created for good. I uh, thought you would put this in, and you certainly did, and did not disappoint. You have a very intriguing chapter on pornography. Uh, and you, you call it a Ponzi scheme. I, I don't want to just read you the quotes in that very good chapter, but could you – that was a great thought. I had never heard that as a metaphor for pornography. Could, could you unpack that a little bit for our listeners, Mike? Sure. Well, you know, you were giving me the quote there earlier, and I thought, you know what? I, I need to go back five years and write another book because that didn't sound too shabby. Yeah. <laughs> it did not. It was very good, Mike. And I'll say not too shabby at all, brother. I, I, I try to, <laughs> trying to write another book at the moment in, in the No Compromise series. And, boy, it's hard to do. I just was reading about an app today, matter of fact, that if you stop writing, it erases everything that you've written. So you're forced to just write. And wow. Wow. That would be kind of a cool app. That would be. That would have gotten me through college. But anyway, go <laughs> go on. Well, you know, as Bible teachers, we can use any illustration uh, to illustrate truth, either what not to do or what to do. And I don't know. I was just reading about Ponzi one day, Charles Ponzi, and how he made money. And we all have heard about the Ponzi scheme and, and, and quick money to investors playing uh, to their greed. And when I see people down uh, at the store getting lottery tickets, I think to myself, do you know what? The lottery plays on poor, stupid, greedy people. And, uh, you know, others buy into it as well, but it's this greed factor and, and people are so ignorant when it comes to it. And here's the money that you're just going to throw away. But what about the same thing when it comes to pornography? It's like, I want 
because I'm lazy, I want a quick return on my, my investment and I want to shortcut everything. So that's when I thought, you know what? Porn is like Ponzi because it promises a lot, but it delivers uh, the exact opposite. Yes. And, you know, I, I know uh, ladies are sinful as well. And I, I, I know that there's probably all kinds of, you know, exceptions and everything else. But I have said to men before, married men, who struggle with intimacy with their wives, I, I said, you know, short of an arranged marriage, because there are some people in our congregation that have arranged marriages, mm-hmm. I said, you've figured out a way to get your wife into the bedroom. And that is you figured out a way to win her heart and to, to win her and to get married and, and then to spend time together. And I, I know you are with her because I, I, I see your many children. So there's a way to go about winning your wife. But it's harder now because you're older, she's older, lots of commitments with kids and school and ministry and everything else. And so if you're not careful, you say, well, I have these desires uh, driven by testosterone. And instead of loving your wife in the morning, and as sometimes people say, you know, Love starts in the kitchen. Sexual love starts in the kitchen. That is helping your wife and and not trying to demand to be served, but to serve her. Instead of doing all that, that takes a lot of work and it's a lot of self-sacrifice. And so men then just default if they're not careful to, you know what, if I click on a couple icons and click on a couple links in Safari, there's going to be seemingly someone there to take care of my needs and I don't have to impress myself at all. And so uh, the problem is it doesn't it doesn't do anything. It's not a really it's not a girl. It's not a real person. Yeah. And your wife is still there upstairs, and it's 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 going to end up uh, going badly for you, just like it did Charles Ponzi. Yeah, yeah. Um, so wanted to um, talk to you about how how do you deal with someone. Um, congregation member, uh, family member, someone who is um, ensnared in pornography, how would you counsel them through that? You know, Nathan, over the years, I as I think of what counselors, biblical counselors might call radical amputation in the Sermon on the Mount and, and cutting out eyes and chopping off hands and that language that our Lord uses for take your sin seriously and He's not saying really cut off limbs, but radically deal with sin. Mm. Until a while ago, I had never met anyone who, when I counseled them to say, you know what, I think maybe you need a new job, or you need to toss your computer, or you need to uh, give your wife the code for you know access to the computer or something. I, I think you need to take radical steps because you, you just cannot, it seems like, of your own willpower – stop viewing pornography. And I I got a letter in from a listener to No Compromise Radio, and and they said, you know what, even though it was hard, I look back on it now and am thankful that uh, my wife caught me. I I, I left a browser open on my phone, and she caught me looking at pornography, and it was awful, but she has graciously forgiven me. And I want you to know now that I've had to rearrange all my life and all my online life to protect myself from doing that. And, you know, Mike, you often say you don't you haven't met anybody like that yet. And I just want you to know, by the grace of God, uh, that person now is me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've told people before I've told wives, you know what? I don't think you're going to like what I'm going to say. I know your husband's really not going to like it. But if your husband keeps 
getting into pornography and then keeps um, coming back for forgiveness. If you take a sledgehammer to his MacBook Pro, I wouldn't blame you. Wow. Hmm. Uh, because that is, to me, this radical kind of amputation where you have to deal with these things and you say, yeah, but that's the woman and she's supposed to be the follower and that's a $2,300 laptop. Mm-hmm. Well, those are all true and uh, I understand that, but this is a very, very divisive thing that will divide husbands and wives as this man is, is selfishly enslaved to a sin now there are other approaches of course in galatians 6 and how we come along and bear people's burdens but there's a lot of people out there who are enslaved to pornography and i want to first start with do you know what let me come alongside of you and help you but then if that doesn't work then i think the help and uh, uh encouragement turns into admonishment and to and to rebuke and so it just depends i have to know the person a little bit more nathan before mm-hmm. i you know, every person's a little different, I yeah. guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so your relationship with the person dictates how you interact with them um, on, on, on that level. Yes. And you know what I think is helpful? If, you, if, you're, if you're dealing with another guy, and you don't even have to be in pastoral ministry to do it this way. If you were to say to someone enslaved to pornography, listen, uh, I'm not going to tell my wife about what you're doing or anything like that, because she probably wouldn't understand as much uh, as, as much as I do about it. But here's what I want you to know. When you see me on Sunday, you're going to think that I identify you by the category of enslaved to pornography. But I want you to know when you see me on Sunday, I'm not going to be thinking that. I'm going to think here is a sinner that's been saved by the by the blood of the Lamb, who's a fellow sinner who gets together to sing the glories of, of Christ Jesus, worthy as a Lamb. And I don't want you to think that now I'm going to pigeonhole you as somebody who's got a pornography problem, because we've all got sinful problems, and so you're a brother in Christ, and I want to help you. I think that really takes the sting out for the person, and then also makes me think, you know what? By the grace of God, I, I don't look at pornography, but I, I'm not, I don't have my own righteousness. It's not relative righteousness. Mm. It's not relative morality. Right. I needed 100% of Christ's righteousness too. And I think that's a good way to deal with other people caught in sexual sin. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Well, very well framed. Again, one of the things that we have uh, enjoyed so much, Mike, and we've been blessed. Uh, you know, uh, Roger at PNR has set us up with several authors like you. And consistent theme, Nathan. Don't we notice this again mm-hmm. when we had uh, Elise yep. um, Fitzpatrick on a few weeks ago? The the gospel centeredness. Yes. Uh, to bring that again, the fierce fight, like you uh, mentioned, the radical amputation against sexual sin, uh, or as um, um, uh, Elise talked about a few weeks ago, the tearing down of idols. That violent warfare language. Mm-hmm. But both writers, both you know, believers that we've right. talked to, and I want us to kind of celebrate that, have rooted it in who we are in Christ. Yes. It is not yes. that we do these things because we are pull pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, Christians trying to make God proud of us. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think your book has made that so, so clear, Mike, what Jesus does for us, what the gospel has, has, has done for us. Um, and I will say just one little, I don't even know if it's an illustration, but a, a story of the need at times for the radical amputation. I know of a wife, this is many years ago now, who um, 
whose husband has since passed, and I'm saying all this because I know she's in no way listening to this. I know that for a fact. But uh, she said to me later she wished that she had pushed for a more radical approach. Um, the The basic takeaway there is at the time they had a daughter who was about seven or eight years of age. The father was completely enslaved to porn, watching it every night, waking up early, uh, pretty dutiful about clearing his uh, browser history and that sort of thing. One night he slipped. The next morning, his daughter uh, wanted to print some coloring sheets. Um, and so she went in, um, and I'm not quite sure how this happened, but she ended up printing everything that dad had left these still shots on the uh, on the computer. This wife said to me later, Oh, Craig, I wish in our case that we had gotten rid of the computer. We talked about it, but she was very humble. She said, you know, for me, I knew that was going to inconvenience me. This is sort of the pre-smartphone era. I was going to have to go to the library um, to, you know, uh, email people, etc. And uh, that just an example, there are times where that radical amputation is absolutely the way to go. And you can see the consequences when things are left, and we sort of think, well, maybe it'll work itself out. Yeah, it is. It is so damaging to think. Okay, how do we deal with sin? And I think both uh, Spurgeon and earlier John Owen, and maybe even Thomas Watson, all said the same thing. You know, you better be killing sin, or it's going to be killing you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what we have to do when it comes to this topic. And, and you know, I think mainly we come across as Christians and Bible teachers. You know, let's kill the sexual sin. But what I try to also do is say, you know what, there is. Uh, uh, help for you if you're married, and that is, it's interesting, Proverbs 5, uh, 6, and 7, uh, how do you avoid immorality when it comes to sexual temptation? And that is, enjoy your wife. And that is, yes. you know, be with your wife. And can you imagine First Corinthians chapter 7, 1 to 5, uh, basically saying, you know, when you said I do at the marriage, you know, in front of the church at the altar, the proverbial altar, you said I will, and uh, this is the only way. You know, I, I, I sometimes think uh, appropriately I'll chase my wife around the house in front of the kids, and I want them to know, you know what, I still think mom is, is pretty and uh, attractive, and uh, she and I are, are sexual beings, and I don't do anything, of course, inappropriate in front of the kids, sure. mm-hmm. but you have to be pursuing those things, and I want the kids to see that as well because – that's just, uh, you know, they're going to see the negative things at school and everything else. So mm-hmm. I just think, okay, you're always teaching and you're always uh, given an illustration. And by the grace of God, since I'm forgiven, I want to make sure I give the right illustration when it comes to the topic and, and trying to teach my kids. Excellent. Yeah. Um, once again, Mike Abendroth, Sexual Fidelity, No Compromise. Mike, um, this has been so great. Before we let you go, I want to touch on um, one more chapter you wrote. <clears throat> Uh, chapter 24, uh, hate speech and loving homosexuals, um, because you do cover everything um, in this book. So talk to us a little bit about how you deal with homosexuality um, here where we are um, in this world. Sure, Nathan, it's, you know, it's, it's unavoidable when this when the subject comes up. <clears throat> and I think most evangelicals that I meet, 
They knee jerkly, and I, I know I'm making up a word, but at least I'm keeping it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a good it's, word. I like it. it. It's adverbial. At least I put yes. the L Y at the end. There you go. Uh, we we automatically say, well, it's it's a it's a sin just like every other sin, and it's a forgivable sin, and <clears throat> that's how Christians mainly talk about homosexuality. And I just think we need to process this a little bit more. And I would prefer to say this. Homosexuality, like adultery, like fornication, like pornography, is a forgivable sin. It's just as forgivable, right? Because Jesus' death was that magnificent. Jesus' death, his his propitiatory death, uh, could assuage the wrath of God for a million billion sins of every different kind. I mean, Christ's death was that great. And uh, I want to make that clear. Homosexuality and its sinful lifestyle can be forgiven. But I also think, you know what? Romans chapter 1 says it goes against nature. And uh, while fornication doesn't go against nature, it's, it's, it's sinful. But homosexuality does. And so that just – I could come across then two ways. Look, you're going against nature and it's a, it's a, it's a sexual sin. And I could be repulsed by that and, and uh, just, you know, disgusted. Or I could think, you know what, uh, how do I deal with people who are enslaved to sin? It's like a double enslavement. It, it's against nature and it's against the will of God. And so I think there's just a way to try to be nice to homosexuals and love them. Uh, when I meet one, I try to, I probably try to be nicer to them than I would be just someone who I know is, is uh, a heterosexual. Mm-hmm. I have neighbors uh, who are homosexual and I want them to say, and I think deep down they do, this is by the grace of God and also uh, how he's worked through my wife and, and these ladies' lives. I want them to say, you know, the nicest people on the block to us uh, are, is that evangelical pastor, that Bible teaching pastor and his family, and to be kind and to think, you know what, these people are slaves to sin, and, and how does God deal with people who are enslaved to sin? Can you imagine, Romans 5 says, God dies for and loves the ungodly. Hmm. If I put an un in front of godly, it's not like God at all. They're, they're, they're not like God, and that's how God treats sinners. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, a homosexual man once asked me to, to uh, do the funeral of his lover for 30 years, I said I would, and I said I'd, but I have to talk about Jesus a little bit. Not a whole lot, but some, I said, because mm. it was going to be kind of a secular funeral. And he said, okay, just talk about Jesus a little. Yeah. I said, all right. And so uh, when I went there to the funeral, I went up to this man and I hugged him. And you know how some of those hugs are. You just hug and then it's just this kind of light hug. I held him and I didn't let go. And he just was weeping in my arms that he'd lost his, his lover. Now, I'm not, I don't condone sexual sin of any kind, and I wasn't condoning it then, but this was a real person who'd lost somebody that he really loved, mm. and he was asking me to come and speak, uh, and so I just thought to myself, you know what? Uh, I know I'm redeemed for lots of reasons, and one of the reasons is because you know the Nebraska kind of sinner in me wouldn't think this way at all, and so when I got up to, to give the message, I just said, you know, lots of people think that Jesus came to judge the world and to condemn the world. Uh, but the, the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, 
has another verse right after it. And let me just read you this verse and tell you what this means. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Mm. And so I think there's a way, and 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 even when you hear my voice now, I, I'm just talking in kind of a, at least I'm trying, in a different cadence, in a kinder cadence, mm. in a, uh, a more empathetic way. Uh, yes, I think it's an awful sin. It goes against nature. It, it, it tries to rebel against God's creation. Uh, but these folks... Are, are suffering, and it's a it's a it's a unhealthy lifestyle. It will take away uh, fifteen to twenty years of your life if you're a male practicing homosexual, and uh, they're they're dying not necessarily from HIV they, these days, but a particular kind of cancer that I don't want to mention on the air just because it's it doesn't need to be. Sure. And so, how do we deal with people who are who are suffering both temporally and then eternally? And even all the discussion in Romans 1, it's temporal judgment. We don't get to eternal judgment until chapter 2 of Romans. So what, what about homosexuals? I think if, if we're kind to them, we address sin as sin. Uh, but we have to do it in such a way where we're not self-righteous because chapter 2 of Romans, basically, basically Paul's point is, um, you know what? You who think that homosexuality is sinful— you know the law, and therefore now you're condemned because you don't keep all the law. Mm-hmm. And you can almost imagine that Jewish moralist in chapter 2 saying, yeah, but I'm not a homosexual. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But Paul's response would be, you just as well might, you, 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 should, you might as well be, yeah. because you need 100% of Christ's righteousness. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. That is so great. Um, Mike, thank you so much. We want to be um, mindful of your time. This has been such a fantastic uh, discussion with you. Um, we would love to have you on at some point in the future um, to to just um, unpack this more or even talk to you about some other things too because yeah. your insights have just been so, um, so tremendous tonight. Thank you. Thank you once again. Well, Greg and Nathan, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. You know, anytime you have the the opportunity again, like I said, to talk about the Lord and his word. It's almost like, you know, when MacArthur's on Larry King and Larry King asked him about Beijing, he's yeah. like, well, the, well, the Bible says. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I heard him say one time, Mike, at uh, together for the gospel conference that he said, he was so forthright. He said, there's times Larry asked me something I, I'm not qualified to talk on. I don't know. He'll ask me about, um, population initiative in China or something like that. And, He'll say, well, I don't know much about that, but what I do know, uh, <laughs> just start opening up scripture. And, you know, he says, as long as he gives me a seat to do it, I'm going to take it. And I can tell that's, that's your heart. And I just want to make sure uh, the folks out there uh, listening in know where they can hear you as well, because you mentioned No Compromise Radio, which I believe is a sponsored ministry of your church. Um, and did you say Wretched Radio as well? Well, sometimes I fill in for Todd, and so I'm, I'm mainly my full time job and, and, and privileges. I pastor Bethlehem Bible Church. That's bbcchurch.org. Mm-hmm. And then we have a daily radio show, nocompromiseradio.com. You can get the iTunes feed or Facebook and Twitter. Um, let's see what else. I'm at NoCo Radio. That's the Twitter feed. Great. Uh, we have. Um, 
some YouTubes. I've done about 150 videos that are on the YouTube channel. That's No mm. Compromise Radio's YouTube channel. Excellent. And then I also do some 30-minute radio shows for Brandon House at Worldview Weekend. So if you just type in Worldview Weekend, the, the current shows are 30-minute TV shows through the book of Romans. So that's, that's the kind of... Um, uh, ministries we're involved in, and if anybody wants to click on there, that'd be great. Excellent. Excellent. And what we'll do is we're going to link all of these um, these things when we put up the description of the uh, writing tonight. We're going to link them all so people can click on and, and listen to you more as um, as they want. So um, once again, um, huge thanks to PNR Publishing for setting this up. Huge thank you, Mike Abendroth, Sexual Fidelity, No Compromise. Go out, grab a copy of the book. We are going to do um, a two-book giveaway. We want you to do an iTunes review for us. Um, several reasons. One, it helps helps us get higher on the iTunes chart so people can find us easier. Um, and the second is we want you to review this podcast today. So um, you will get a copy of um, Mike Abendroth's book, Sexual Fidelity, No Compromise, if you leave an iTunes review. And then just shoot us an email or a Facebook message or a Twitter message letting us know that you left that review. And a quick clerical word on the iTunes review, Nathan. We get people asking us sometimes, normally when you write the iTunes review, uh, it might look like it disappeared into the great blue nowhere. Yeah. But it doesn't. It just uh, processes and usually is up within 12 to 24 hours. Uh, So once that's up, you can just let us know, hey, I'm the dude that wrote that. Because sometimes your names are something like like White Snow Birdie 21. (laughs) And uh, sorry, we don't know who that is, so you need to let us know. Yeah. So um, once again, Mike, thank you so much. We're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to sign off now. Gentlemen, we just rocked the Casper. Rocked it. These go to 11.